Hey everybody, welcome to season two of the Mixmasters podcast. I'm your host, Steve Litcher, and for those not familiar, I'm the touring front of house engineer for Stitched Up Heart. Working with Stitched Up Heart has led me to meet an incredible number of really talented people, and I wanted to introduce you to them. I wanted to let you hear their stories and learn from their experiences. This is really your chance to listen in on behind the scenes talk and to learn from some of the best in the business. I have to give a huge shout out to my pal, Merritt Goodwin, for this killer intro music. Merritt is the lead guitarist for Stitched Up Heart, and he's also an extremely talented composer. Give him a follow on Facebook at Merritt Goodwin or on Instagram at Merritt Goodwin Official. Now let's bring up the faders and jump into this episode of Mixmasters Podcast. My guest for this episode is Mike Mackery. Mike is a legend in the front of house industry and his resume would take me over an hour to read if I listed off every single act and performer that he's worked with. It's really an impressive list, but I'd like to touch on just a couple of the groups that he's uh, done sound for in the past, including In This Moment, Sum 41, Seven Dust, Bishop Briggs, Hoobastank, and then most recently he's been touring with Kids Bop. In this episode, he talks about the importance of being nice and how that plays a role in the gigs that we all get and keep. He talks about various challenges with venues, and yes, we do talk a little bit about the rave, everybody's least favorite echo chamber. We also then dig into his front of house rig, which is pretty amazing. He's got fully redundant consoles at front of house. And then he also runs a cable free show with Kids Bop. So it's really cool. I encourage you to check out this episode. Mike's a really fun guy, incredibly knowledgeable. And this was just a really pleasurable episode to put together. So I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Mix Masters. I'm your host, Steve Litcher, and I am joined today by Mike Mackery. And Mike is uh, coming to me by way of Baltimore, Maryland. And Mike, it is a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thanks for joining. Yeah, man. Thank you so much for having me. I super appreciate it. And like I said, I'm honored and shocked that anyone <laughs> would give a shit to talk to me or listen to me. So to your funeral. I feel the same way about myself, not about you. I'm I'm always <laughs> amazed when I see the download numbers and I'm like, wow, people are actually listening to this. That's shocking to me. It's so. got to be freaky, but hey man, good on you. That's 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 awesome. So, I met you through Brian Campbell as has been the theme for a lot of my guests of recent. Mm-hmm. And Brian, if you're listening, um I still do owe you beverages, gift cards and thank you notes and whatnot. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I just owe him apologies. I just Hey, Brian, if you're listening, man, I'm sorry for everything I've ever done. <laughs> yeah, big fan of Brian Campbell. He's a great dude. Um, yeah, I, I've actually known him for a long time. Uh, and we met early, and then he went off and did his own thing. We kind of kept in touch, and then we got brought back together just by the business. And uh, just a solid operator, man. Someone I really enjoyed touring with and, uh, you know, hanging with on days off. Good dude. Yeah. And – that's a great that's a great um, segue, I guess, for lack of a better phrase. But can you take us back to your younger days and when you oh, really man. first became cognizant of music? What got you interested in oh. music, and and how did you sort of grow up with music and get into the business? Man, it's such a loaded question. How much time do we have? Uh, I'll try to keep it short. Um, so I started annoying my dad when I was a kid. Cause I would do chores and go spend all my little allowance on cassette tapes of metal bands or any bands. Like some of my early, early, early stuff 
was like, I remember getting like a Mr. Mr. album. And then I bought like U2's uh, War and the Unforgettable Fire. And then he kind of raised me on like the classics of the Stones and Clapton and that kind of stuff. <clears throat> I always enjoyed it as a kid. I loved music. And as I was growing up, like in high school, I started playing in some bands and one of the bands I played in, we actually recorded some seven inches and we were signed to it. I say signed, that's a very loose term. We were on a, uh, a label out of New Jersey called Ferret Records and it was like hardcore, you know, pressing seven inches, doing shows in old VFW halls, like, you know, playing places around Baltimore, DC, Connecticut in like the hardcore scene. And I loved it, played guitar. And we did a couple albums locally, um, uh, seven inches. And I started to get close to getting out of high school. I was like, shit, I'm, I don't know if I'm going to be able to survive off doing this all the time, but I really enjoyed being in the studio. So I started bugging him and annoying him and breaking him down until he was like, you can do takeout orders and vacuum and wrap cables and clean up and you know the whole the whole nine until one day he was tired and was like you can work on this and then he threw me some clients he didn't want and it really worked out for me and i really enjoyed it and that kind of was my into recording studios then i left his spot went to this other place rightway studios where it was a little bigger we had three studios it was an ssl room we had tape machines we had the beginnings of pro tools on a scuzzy drive that was eight gigs and we thought it was fucking mind-blowing <laughs> like you know we were we were just losing our shit um and i worked there for probably like 10 years loved it and had a swedish a guitar player from a swedish metal band called soilwork came over to produce an album for a band from maryland and i engineered it he and i ended up hitting it off and becoming friends outside of the work environment and he was like hey I'm working on some other stuff. Why don't you come out and engineer that? We worked on a, a record for Darkest Hour out of DC. I did some work for him on uh, this guy, Warl Dane's album. I did some work on some soil work stuff with him. And one day he was like, dude, why don't you, we're about to leave for tour. Why don't you come out and do live sound? And I was like, I had done some around Baltimore, you know what I mean? But it was like club stuff, but didn't really know. But I was like, yeah, fuck yeah, let's do it. And had an amazing experience i'm sure the shows were terrible to anyone that was there the band is amazing but i'm sure my mix was terrible but uh, it was it was really what bit me like oh man i'm i'm you know getting onto a tour bus and mixing what i think is this wonderful band which they were amazing people and wonderful players and then kind of from there went on to the van and trailer tours you know a lot of the the super Math Metal, Born of Osiris, Chelsea Grin, um, Motionless and White. Uh, man, I'd have to really dig deep. But a lot of those type of bands um, had a blast doing that and happened to come across in this moment on a weirdly branded tour that they were on that I was working for like four other bands on, met them. And then they just called me up out of the blue one day. It was like, hey, we got to go do Shiprocked do you want to do it? And I was like, okay, sure. Uh, don't really know what it is, but let's go. And then I ended up working for them forever. And then started working for more touring bands. And then it, that became 
my official like all right the studio's over now i'm a full-time touring guy and shit that was 12 15 years ago something like that and now i'm here i was going to ask roughly when you started uh that ship rocked tour within this moment would that have been like 05 06 i want to say that was 2010 okay so more recent 2010 yeah wow so yeah about 10 years of full time. And before that was probably about five years of like some tour bus and some van and trailer and some local venues and just kind of kicking around, leaving the studio more and going out doing live stuff more. And then really around 2010 is when it was like, all right, this is my career now. You know what I mean? So and the rest is history. On those early van and bus or van and trailer tours, were you carrying your own uh, console or anything like that? Or were you doing console tour? Yeah console du jour i didn't even i couldn't even grasp the concept of carrying my own desk now granted you know it was still in the digital age but it was not as compact as it has gotten over the years um you know and in those eras i was i used to travel with my own rack of analog gear my own effects my own gates that i knew my own compressors that i thought sounded good because i was clubbing it and my advance for audio was like, do you have inserts? You know what I mean? Do you have quarter inch inserts? Because that's all I really can ask for at that level and all I really need to know. Um, but uh, I, I totally lost track of the question. Oh, no, you answered it. I was, I was asking if uh, you carried your own console at those earlier. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. I carried my own, my own gear. And that, th- that whole concept was foreign to me. I was like, you you have to production wise be filthy fucking rich to roll your own console out every day and i would look at guys like we, uh, we'd play random you know big festivals for that genre and a couple guys would come out and had to bring their own desk and it was like oh shit look at this guy you know what i mean now people like carry him under their arm and roll him out to festivals in front of house and they sound phenomenal but yeah that was uh that was later in the game. I remember the first time I was able to carry a console, I felt like king shit. Like I have arrived. This is the greatest thing ever. And now looking back on it, yeah, it was a great memory, but you know, it's come a long way since then. Like carrying your own system at that moment, I didn't even realize, hey, one day you're gonna carry your own PA in semi trucks with multiple backups of your console. That that whole concept was absolutely foreign to me uh, of that level but you know i was lucky enough uh to get to that point which was wonderful so yeah uh it's it's a wonderful story i appreciate you sharing it and i want to ask you a little bit about your your rigs these days but um i really i honestly don't know too much about some of the other bands that you've worked with and to what level i know you've done some stuff with breaking benjamin and some 41 Mm -hmm. um can you take us through some of the bands of, of recent that you worked with and sort of how you got into those roles and some of your experiences in some of those yeah. uh, scenarios? For sure. Um, let's see. So it really, in this moment, was like the first real budget. And, it, and I say that loosely. We started out like building a lot of set stuff in parking lots on days off. But it was the real like there was, there was churn behind them. In this moment, Seven Dust, um, Sum 41, 
uh, Billy Ray Cyrus for a little while, uh, Bishop Briggs, who was a wonderful artist. Uh, um, I wish everybody knew about her. Um, and I'm trying to, um, Sabrina Carpenter. I know I'm trying to think like all these, I'd have to look at my, oh, Hoobastank. Oh my God, I love Hoobastank. They've been wonderful. I said, that's the thing when I, when I forget, I sound like such a brick, but um, it's funny, like thinking back now to how I operated previously, it's just interesting to see the, the change or the growth of like walking into a club that you've emailed once or twice. You know what I mean? Here's the schedule. Here's what we're coming with. And they don't care to, you know, arena advances. And then from that going into a kid show, you know what I mean? Right now I'm with kids bop and that's like a whole different world. Um, but it's really just been, you know, a progression of meeting good people um, and being available and being ready when luck strikes, you know what I mean? Certain bands need someone. And, you know, I, I did in this moment for a while. Um, from that, I transitioned into Seven Dust. And that was only because I had met them a bunch of times at festivals and we knew some of the same people. And they had brought it up like, hey, what about that guy? And their management called and, um, you know, learned great things from a band like that who's been in the business for so long. And they're such amazing people. Um, from Seven Dust, I went on and did some 41. Uh, and uh, I've really been lucky. They're amazing people, sweet people, phenomenal players all around, just phenomenal. Um, Hoobastank was wonderful. Um, and a lot of it comes from, you know, I ended up with meeting this manager who referred me to this manager who referred me to this band or who knew me from this or whatever. So like Breaking Benjamin came from, I was mixing Seven Dust as the opener on the Shinedown Breaking Benjamin tour. And then I mixed, oh, Papa Roach. That's another one who I adore. You want to talk about some of the sweetest people. I mean, the, but my wife still just, casually chats with the drummer you know what i mean they're just nice sweetheart guys um so i was mixing seven dust on the breaking ben shinedown tour and that's when breaking ben heard me mix first and then i mixed papa roach on one of the shiprock tours shiprock cruises and apparently ben was there and he was like i want that guy so then they called and that's how that whole thing came in and then our wonderful monitor guy, Nick Teamy, he went to go work for a production company and we're like, shit, we need a monitor guy. And Brian Campbell, boom, that was the, you know, first thing that came up. And then I got Kids Bop, I don't know, a year later. <clears throat> and we were sitting in the office and, and Jerome, the tour manager, who's a dear, dear friend of mine, we've toured with multiple bands over the course of years. Um, he's like, what do you think? And I was like, I think it should come from within. Brian's the guy. He knows, you know, the whole layout. And he's way better at front house than I am. There's no point in the outside hire. And then I think they put Josh Patron on monitors, who's also amazing. And, uh, yeah, I landed here. I just wish I could have 
physically gone. I was trying so hard to go to a breaking bench show because I was dying to hear Brian Mixum because um, I had a bunch of my buddies that were like, dude, he's killing it. And it, it's I've only heard great things. And I, I really respect him as an engineer. And, and I learned a lot from him um, just early on and just kind of through his style and uh, big fan of him professionally and personally. So, you know. Yeah, he's he's one of the good guys. And it is it's funny what a small world we exist in, because like when you were mentioning some 41, I was digging through my notes. I talked to Matt Trevino the other day. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he said the same exact things about some 41 guys that, you know, they're so talented, so nice. And, you know, just like audiophiles to the nth degree. Oh, and it's just it's just funny how we all roll in this small circle where we know everybody (laughs) It gets smaller every day, and I say it all the time, where someone's like, oh, wait, you know, Chad? Yeah, Chad. Oh, dude, that's like my closest friend. What? I've been touring with him for fucking four years. Like, it's such a small community, even though it seems vast. That's, uh, you know, I enjoy that part of it. I feel like, um, you know, the, the, the solid operators and the people that operate with respect and care for their client and care for the people they have the honor of working alongside. Those are the ones I keep running into. And I think that's a beautiful thing. So I enjoy that. And I also, I'm never a fan of like, I know it's competitive, but I always like support better. You know what I mean? Like let, let that little camaraderie drive your own energy, but, you know, I feel like there was an old way of running production and it was iron fist and screaming and yelling and belittling. And just from years of me doing it younger in clubs, being on the receiving end of PMs coming in or front of bullshit. I was like, you suck. Why would I want to do, you know, I would, you're going to come across my desk and the next time you come in, I'm not going to want to work with you. So I just keep meeting people that are not of that mentality and have just way more of a, I know it's kind of hippie and crunchy, but uh, just way more of a, of a family vibe, which I, which I enjoy. So I'm uh, grateful for guys like Brian and, and all the, the bands I've had the pleasure of working for. I'm relatively new to the touring large scale world. I've been a local production guy for 30 years and really just started touring with Stitch Up Heart last year. But one Mm -hmm. of the first things I noticed was how friendly and how approachable and how just like grateful everybody is before every Stitched Up Heart show, the band gets in a circle and we all say one thing that we're grateful for, you know, and it's surprising Mm -hmm. how the theme of the, what we're grateful for is sort of consistent. We're grateful for one another and the opportunities that we have and the experience, you know, to learn from yesterday's show and looking forward. It, it's such sure. a, it, I, I don't know that a lot of people necessarily appreciate that that is really how it is for the most part these days. I think that the grumpy old sound guy is hopefully a dying breed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just, I don't have any time for that energy. Like if you're fucking miserable, man, do something else. It's all good. Like, <laughs> I really, as corny as it is, love that I get to do this. Hopefully, I get to continue doing this for a living. And people that are, you know, negative or 
grumpy or you know always just waiting for the show to be over so they can just pound beers and fall asleep that's fine but like keep the negativity out of it man you know what i mean we're all here to just do a job and and it's way easier and way more gratifying when you're doing it with with some respect and compassion for the rest of the people you work with so luckily yeah luckily i've had the you know pleasure of being surrounded by that that type of person you know what i mean i've only had a handful of like wow you're a dick you know and usually i say it to them so usually it goes away quick but yeah quick diversion. I used to be a mechanic in a former life. I worked at a large Ford dealership and one of my team members, we worked in groups, small groups of teams. And one of the guys on my team was the angriest, most unhappy person on the planet. And I said something to my team leader about it one day and he goes, Oh, that guy, he wakes up every morning pissed that the sun's up and then he eats a shit sandwich for breakfast. So it's like he was notorious for that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's fine. But it's just like, I feel like stuff like that on a touring side and, and in anything in a close environment in a work environment where you're, where you're seeing those same people every day and you're doing groundhog day every day, you got to find the joy in it somewhere because you know, you're breathing, you're employed, you're, you know, around like-minded people find some fucking joy in it. And if you can't find your joy in the touring industry and all the wonderful things we get to do, uh, I don't know what's going to blow your skirt up. You know what I mean? That's beyond me. It's crazy. Exactly. All right. Let's, uh, let's go back and talk gear a little bit here. So um, I've seen breaking Benjamin a number of times. I, I probably saw you mix them at the rave in Milwaukee the Eagles ballroom <laughs> with all that wonderful. Literally the, the worst place. <laughs> oh God. That's such a shame. I, I'm right there with you. I, I was so excited to get to play the rave because I've seen, you know, a hundred shows there mm-hmm. and we rolled into town with steel Panther. And as soon as we sound checked, I wanted to get out of there like immediately. <laughs> it was yeah. That, that reverb. And here, here's a, here's a nugget for you. I've mixed in every room that is available at the rave. So the bar is where I did soil work. The venue next to the bar is where I did board of Osiris a bunch of times. Um, I think I even did maybe an acoustic breaking Ben show up there. Then I did the ballroom twice with breaking Benjamin, which I was so excited to get to the top of that venue. And then when I heard sound check, I was like, somebody come over here and shoot me in the face. Cause this room is the worst. And then in the basement by where the showers are, you know, that wood room, I did protest the hero there twice. And that venue has become such a staple in my existence that I love it. Even though it's like, it's like a family member that gets drunk at Thanksgiving. Like, you know, it's coming, but you just brace yourself. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you're mixing in the top room and unless you're flying your own PA, which the points in there are so soft, you can barely do anything. I usually just go with their JBLs and just call it. There was one time I think I put up my own rig and it still wasn't great. It was a lot better, but it still wasn't great. Um, I, I love that venue. I have a soft spot for that venue just because I've spent so many, so many evenings there in those shitty showers. And yeah, I, I enjoy that place. Well, where where I was going, and I'm I'm just cracking up off off mic uh, on mute. So um, 
where I was going with that was when I saw you with Breaking Benjamin, I think it was with Chevelle and you were on a Midas Pro X. Has Midas been your... I don't think that was me if it was Chevelle, but I was on a Pro X for a very long time. So I started Breaking Ben on a SD9 Digico. And it, I used to have a, a console that I loved. As I've progressed, I realized for myself, it's not so much the desk, it's the operator. Like, the hammer doesn't build the house, it's the contractor that's swinging the hammer, you know what I mean, whatever. Um, but Breaking Ben, so I started on an SD9. I love SD9s, but they definitely have a dry character. That is a blank slate like no other. And a lot of people will talk about the sterility of an SD9 in the rock world. Um, some people don't like that they don't have enough force or that you just can't drive the desk as much. You have to do it more with outboard gear. That's, you know, everybody's got an opinion. But from the SD9, I had a buddy of mine who was, uh, I mean, still kind of, it was Godsmack's front of house engineer. He is a diehard Midas guy. Um, but he was, giving me my rental package and he said hey for this tour why don't you try um a pro six and i said no and he goes why don't you come up to the shop and we'll a b an sd9 and a pro six and i'll give you all day you can sit and toy with both but i want a metering the same and we're just going to flip back and forth so we rock a mix on the sd9 and then build one on the pro six we'll go have dinner we'll come back and just hit play and I was floored. And they were both my mixes. They were both in near fields and, you know, large stacks. And I was shocked. And from then on, I was like, man, it's okay, let's go. I'm, I'm, I'll take this Midas. We built a package. And then the six actually locked up completely on a show night, middle of the set, just didn't move. Nothing was moving. I couldn't move the mouse. I couldn't mix. I had to literally do this. But thank God it was at a point where I was like, all right, I'm enjoying it. Sounds great. I wasn't trying to make a move. And I just happened to look down and all the meters weren't moving. But thank God it still passed audio. So that one had an issue. So he sent me out a Pro X. And once I got the Pro X, I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I can do how much now? Like that, I was off to the races on the Pro X. And I held that for the rest of the time that I was with Breaking Benjamin. Yeah, the rest of the time. Yeah. Were you using any sort of outboard processing like waves or anything like that at that point? Or no, was you... I never went digital. I went all analog on my outboard. So I was using an, um, a Neve 2025 primary source enhancer on Ben's vocals. I was using a distressor on his vocal. I had an Avalon 747 stereo on my uh, left, right. I had some tuners. I had the Eventide 3000 outboard. So, uh, and then I had a Pro Tools rig because I was tracking every night because at random, Ben would be like, uh, how was that? Let, 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 I'll take the files. You know what I mean? That, that felt good. I'll have them. Or virtual sound checks, I'd get days where Ben would be like, oh, last night was great. You got this. I'd be like, it's, we're in a different arena. He'd be like, no, you're good. I'd be like, dude. So I, I would, you know, do virtual sound checks and that helped, but it's still nothing like, you know, the band fully trying in the environment. Um, but yeah, loved Midas. 
Um, and then from Breaking Ben, I went to Kids Bop, and they were on a Pro 2. And I was like, all right, well, I just came from Pro X. This is fair game. It's a, it's a fully tracked show. The kids do sing live, but they also have backing tracks and whatever. Uh, but very talented kids. So I just went on the Pro 2 for a while, and then you'll appreciate this. So then we go do the Hollywood Bowl with Kids Bop. Okay. I've never done the Hollywood Bowl before in my 10, 12 years of touring, whatever. Uh, never stepped foot, never saw a show there, but it was iconic. It's the Hollywood Bowl. I, you know what I mean? I've seen multiple acts, recordings of bands at the Hollywood Bowl, and I held it in such high regard. And we had the best load in, the best day. And we, me and my stage manager were like, man, I mean, everything's going so good. You never say that. You, and I knew it. And we even commented after we said it. We were like, wow, wh- why'd we say that? We know better. We're better than that. You never say that, especially before doors. Like, what is wrong with us? You know? So it's a huge show. It's Hollywood. So there's like, you know, f- famous people there with their kids, 10,000 people for a kid's show. So it was like, oh, this is great. All these families are going to have so much fun, you know, do sound check, line check through the cans. An opening act goes on in a bank of channels on the Pro 2 far up. We go to start the show. Nothing. Silent as can be. Okay. I'm telling you nothing. Horrifying. I don't know if you've ever been robbed at gunpoint, but that felt better than no audio at the Hollywood Bowl. And I mean, 10,000 just kids like, is Christmas canceled too? Did this guy shoot Santa in the face? Like, it was brutal, dude, the the pain that I was feeling. So I'm running around trying to figure out what's going on. Finally, I'm like, all right, we got to get the show going. So I took the monitor engineer's feed of what he was giving one of the kids and I multi, I patched into it, split it out to the uh, SD11 that the house has, and ran up there and fed that through. Tried to make it sound listenable. Nothing against my monitor guy, but it's for their ears. It's not for a PA and ten thousand people. So at least we got the show moving. And then the only thing that saved it was I happened to lo- I loaded a file that was from a show I had done in London with kids bob it was the first show i ever did and when i loaded that everything came up and everything started working again so they transferred the control from the sd11 back to me in a split second of silence and then i had control again but so long story long i was like all these consoles can get out of here i don't want to see any of these consoles for the rest of my life take them all back i reached out to a friend of mine and said this is what happened I can never have this happen again. I need a Cirque du Soleil rig. I need the most redundant rig you've ever built. And he was like, all right, give me a week. And he came back to me with a a fully redundant Pro One rig. I have two Pro Ones sitting next to each other, and I have a radial switcher that switches all my effects and all my outboard gear between two consoles that are fully running at all times. And I'm feeding them fully to the PA at all times. And it's literally two buttons that I hit. If anything's squirrely, I just go pop. And it's, you can't even hear it. And I do it to all the engineers that are at the house. I'm like, check it out. That's this console. 
that's this console. They're like, what? I can't even. So that that's where I've landed now is I'm Midas two pro ones um, with what's that Meyer software and the outboard unit. It's the galaxy Galileo Galileo. No, Galileo. Uh, it could be galaxy or again. I don't know Meyer as well as I should. So I apologize. That's just how I'm running all the sources, but and then it's back to the Avalon 747. Even though it's a kid's show, I still want my my, my tubes. I know it's corny. Um, I've got some tuners because these kids are so talented. But we're I'm trying to take some of the pressure off them because they sing and they dance, and so I put tuners, chromatic outboard tuners, so I don't have to worry about another digital influence, and it just since they're singing the backing track, it just tightens them ever so slightly. But I'm, I mean, these kids are super talented and super easy. And um, yeah, it's been fun. It's, it's really comfortable sitting out in front of house, knowing you got literal two. like, all right, bring it. What are you going to do now? You know what I mean? And unless the power goes out uh, and even then I have a battery backup. So like, we made it so everybody else has to fail before I'm like, no, nope, I'm good. No, well, I'm going to keep my job. So, yeah, I'm very appreciative. Ultrasound, uh, Scott Kachuk, great company. And they invested a ton into buying all brand new gear, setting me up, making me so comfortable. That's my plug for Ultrasound and Scott Kachuk. They did a wonderful job. The whole thing is beautifully laid out in, in a very comprehensive rig that is literally I tip two desks onto one road case and it's just like, bing, 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 you know, up in 10 minutes. It's, it's, it's an amazing rig. So if you're ever in the Chicago, Madison, Milwaukee, Minneapolis area, please call me. Cause I want to check that out. I want to see you switch that Dude. real time and I'll, uh, that'll be amazing. It's so, it's so cool. And I definitely will because it's like, I should, <laughs> I show it off. Like I had anything to do with it. I had nothing to do with it except one panic phone call to a dear friend that was like, I need two consoles next to each other. Like I was speaking like it was ridiculous. And he was like, no, I can do that. And I'm going to do that. I'll be back in a week. And so to that, I mean, it was really all their design, but I show it off. Like I had something to do with it. So I'd love for you to come see it. It's really nice. Really nice. Yeah. I, uh, I'll take you up on that offer. And what do you have up on stage then? What, what are you using for stage boxes with, uh, with that rig? Is it, uh, like DL one fifty threes, two fifty ones? So everything for the kids show, since it's all pro tools based, the only thing they're using is shore headsets and we don't run a single cable on that stage. Everything's RF all in a rack that when he opens up and powers up, as long as we put headsets on the kids and put their ears in, boom, good to go. Everything's hardwired and it's real. It's simple. I mean, we can roll it in anywhere and, you know, really get audio up super fast. So I've got nothing sitting on stage, not a one. I'm speechless and jealous. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, dude, when I started at that job, one, the, the whole management team uh, and the whole touring division are amazing people. And I think that they, they needed, wanted to make a change into, uh, I, I don't know, different style of, of touring people. But I brought the stage manager over from Kubastank, and they already had a wonderful team in place that, uh, that I'm so grateful to work alongside of. But it, it's just, it's a great uh, organization, and uh, they've been ultra supportive in allowing us 
to come in and kind of work on these systems and work on the speed of, you know, audio, lighting, special effects, staging, video, you know, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, Really enjoyed it. I think I know the answer to this question because you sort of alluded to it, but are you also carrying PA? And if so, what are you, what are you flying? We, we, we're not carrying PA. We do every city provides and we just have a basics of, you know, um, Meyer, L acoustic, um, Oh my God. DNB is the preference, but I'll tell you, I land on some JBL rigs and, you know, for cost and that's fine. And the beauty of it is, is I'm doing a kid's show. So I can't tell you the last time I was over hundred DB. You know what I mean? Like if you can't have a conversation with your child, when I'm mixing a kid's Bob show, I'm doing it wrong and I'm going to lose my job. You know what I mean? So as much as I would love to carry a PA, it's, not as integral as it used to be with breaking Ben. I always carried Meyer boxes. Always. I just, I love them. Um, they were older. I can't remember the model. I love the DMB stuff. I really, Oh man, I did Bishop Briggs on a rig. Oh man. I forget who it was. Adams. Adamson. Maybe it was Adamson. Their stuff is incredible. It was a rig I had on tour with P. Roach and Five Finger in this moment, and I was super impressed. Then I didn't see it again until this hangout festival in Alabama with Bishop Riggs. And oh my God, that the response on that rig, and like I'm 120 feet away and I'm hearing literally every move. And I walked out of front of house and walked right up to the box. And I was like, I can't, this is not, I can't believe this. There's no way. And I walked. Through the barricade, she's performing. She's looking at me like, oh, something wrong? I'm like, no, good. And I just stood in front of the boxes, and, man, I was blown away by just how clean it was. I think I, I got to look that up. Maybe it was Adamson. I can't remember. But, yeah, phenomenal. So those are kind of my, my go-tos, the, the, the standards that everybody, all of us are, you know, preferable to Meyer, D&B, L Acoustic, you know, the Adamson, if I'm even saying that right. I feel terrible. I can't remember that. But. That kind of vibe is what I prefer. Are you uh, carrying any sort of outboard speaker processing units, like a lake or anything like that, or is you just re- feed the house and that's it? Just that Meyer piece, the Galileo, um, that's all I use. Uh, and it's really intuitive and it sounds really good to the point where when I integrated it into the system, I don't touch the internal graph ever. And I stopped really mixing on the desk because that was done and I can tinker with that all day, but I know that that basically holds its value as in cans. I enjoy it. It's, it's right where I want it to be. And it was a buddy of mine that was like, Oh dude, you got to try this. It's the best. It's made by Meyer. You're going to love it. Here's how it operates. Just play with it. And majority of my mixing was on a tablet walking around the room, just carving small moves. And it's uh, it's a really uh, intuitive software, and it sounds good. It's ultra reactive. Uh, It's become like a security blanket for me. You know, Uh, I really enjoy it. Is there anything in particular that you're really listening for when you're walking around and making those little minute adjustments? Are you do you tend to focus on one specific thing night overnight, or is it just sort of the the vibe of the show and the day? What's your methodology for that? 
You know what? That's a great question. And no, there is literally no rhyme or reason. It, it, it's so different for every band. So like Seven Dust, when all those boys get in a room and play together, they make meat. You know what I mean? They make meat and potatoes. And they had a, a definitive sound that no matter what they're playing through, that group of guys playing together created that sound. And I would become, I would mix for them specific to what I, my interpretation was of, of their projection. Breaking Ben was a whole different story. You know what I mean? Like phenomenal band, phenomenal players. Again, some of the sweetest people there. I still keep in contact with all of them through all of this. They're like brothers. Cannot say enough good things about those guys. Um, but they're a whole different animal to mix. You know what I mean? Brian would say the same thing you know, their treatment is, is wholly different than anyone else. So I feel like with Breaking Ben, I was carving to make space because I needed to extract power from some areas and create power in other areas. Seven Dust, power. Some 41, ripping power nonstop. So it's a different dynamic, you know, Bishop Briggs is more, uh, more dynamic. And that would be, I would be looking for vocal clarity first, such a beautiful voice. And it would be really like carving the PA kind of around how I felt she reacted the best and then fitting the music within that. Sum 41, Seven Dust, it was like build a wall of music and put the vocals within it. You know what I mean? So like Billy Ray Cyrus, vocal, bring the music in under him. Breaking Ben was almost that vocal, bring the music in under him. But that's another one where it was like, you, you got to find the power and accent it to make it, you know, it, uh, that was a delicate dance. Breaking Ben was a delicate dance. And, and, and nights when I got him, when I felt like, ah, oh, that was it, nothing better. You know what I mean? That, that was such a great feeling but it, Brian and I called it chasing the dragon where you get that one great show and that's what you chase for the next, you know, three or four that might not have that same. And, and then, you know, that's the part of the job I love is the chase, you know, the consistency of keeping that going and, and keeping that, uh, that lineage and that thread through a mix that from venue to venue is so difficult, but, um, yeah, I think I just spun out of control on the point, but no, you're you're spot on, and I love hate chasing that dragon. It's like you get yeah. you get that one great show, and you're never you've never been higher. You're just like, wow, this is so yeah. phenomenal. And then mm -hmm. the next night, you compare yourself, and you're like, I need to go work at McDonald's or Quick Trip or oh, something like that. Steve, dude, okay, so I was doing is it, it was Breaking Ben in Florida at um. I can't remember. I, I'm so sad that I'm forgetting all these names because I should be writing them down. But there was a festival and it was like Black Sabbath. Ozzy was playing one of his last shows and the guy who mixed Black Sabbath and then Ozzy was there at front of house and it was a dual front of house and the stages were right next to each other. And they did, I mean, right next to each other. You loaded up a center ramp and you either went right or left. And it was, that was how close they were. And the PAs were hung. If you're mixing on this stage, you're left, right. And the other stage projects it right, left. 
which a lot of them do, but they were so close to each other. I felt like someone handed me like a Rambo machine gun and was like, just fire into the air, bro. Do whatever you want. And a buddy of mine was there. And I, that was one of the shows where I was like, oh my God, I have ripped it down. That was so good. Cut to the next night where I was like, I'm going to quit. I'm going to mix guac at Chipotle. And that's going to be the end of this because I am horrible. You know what I mean? So the, 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 the chase of one night being so confident in your ability and feeling so in control and excited and fulfilled and happy and part of the experience to the next night feeling like, you know, I wish a piece of the rigging would fall on me because that was the worst show I've ever done. And I, you know, those swings are difficult, man. And, uh, you know, I think that's what keeps the chase uh, that keeps the guys like you and me and whoever wanting, you know, Brian, all the guys mixing deal with the exact same thing. And I think that's the, the beauty of it is that I've seen guys that I look up to have the exact same nights where they're, where I'm like, it sounded great. And they're like, that was a literal bag of human feces. Like I couldn't have done worse. And I'm like, what? So we're all our own worst critics. And I think that's what drives us. We all have to be a little neurotic and all mildly little control freaks to want to do this and then be judged by so many people and then go back and do it again the next day. But I think, you know, it's, it's a, it's a hell of a gig and I'm, I'm happy to have it no matter what I'm mixing. So. I'm going to ask you to get a little philosophical here. And if it's, if it's not a good road to go down, we don't have to go down it. But what do you think changes from that night with Ozzy with the two stages and you're, you know, firing the 50 caliber and just like on Mm -hmm. top of the world. And then all of a sudden the next night you're, you know, firing a a slingshot and hoping it hits you in the eye. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know, I used to obsess over that. And I used to really dig deep into like what has drastically changed. And and as I was touring more, I started realizing like so many variables, the room first and foremost, then the systems engineer who flew the rig and who painted it, where did it sit? Like, what am I walking into? And before Early on, I always, I, I naively was like, I'm walking into a PA that is working to the best of an ability. Fuck no. No, I am not. Like, going through and learning, like, that mid-driver's out and listening to each stack on its own and going through boxes. And, like, that was a progression. It used to be like, oh, shit, they have a PA that's in the air. Fuck yeah, it's not on the ground. Let's do this. You know what I mean? Like, the first time I saw a real flown PA that I was about to mix on, again, I was like, oh, I've arrived. This is it. Like, I will be, you know, award-winning from now on. You know what I mean? Um, but it, there's so many variables that you can take yourself and carry and hold on to. And I did it for the first like year with Breaking Benjamin. And it took a, a, a staff member who's who's very high up in the in the company of Breaking Benjamin, who's now a, a dear, dear friend who I hold in such high regard. His name's Terry. Um, he came to me one day and he was like, hey, do me a favor and shut the fuck up. Stop stressing. Like you're carrying the weight of every day 
And you can't because every day is a different variable. And we know, I know, this is him talking to me saying, I know you try hard every day, but you have to be able to not carry the weight of a PA that's been in a building for 20 years or a systems tech who couldn't give a shit and is just waiting to get out. You know what I mean? Or boxes that aren't properly cared for or designs and buildings that are ultra reflective metal or concrete, like so many variables that I used to attach to my value. Finally, I was like, you know, I can't do that. I can't carry all this weight. I'm going to work my hardest every day. I'm going to care because I do. There's no way not to. I'm just going to do my best every day. And I have to walk away knowing that I tried my best that day and tomorrow is a new one. And at, at that point, a lot of the stress of my youth in the game thinned out a little bit. And I was able to kind of broaden my scope of, of all the opportunities around me uh, aside from or in tandem with audio that I could experience and try to work on. So I, I try not to get too caught up in, in, in the blame game on myself. So many variables, as you know, some are going to be winners. Some are going to be stinkers. Um, and, and one of my favorite things, I don't know who originated, but their genius is when I have done a show, I used to come backstage and guitar techs or buddies of mine would be like, how was it? And I would tell them it sucked or it was great or I hated it. Or I, bleh, bleh. Finally, I would just say out of all the shows we've ever done, that was one of them. And I'm really excited for Lone Out. You know what I mean? Like that was it. Um, you know live to fight another day. I think my coping mechanism for that is I uh, self-deprecate quite a bit and people who listen <laughs> to the podcast will hear me, you know, rip on myself, but then, you know, I go back and listen to the shows and the recordings and it's not as bad as I always remember it to be, you know, yeah. in the moment, yeah. I think you get yeah. more wrapped up and harder on yourself. So I'm going to steal your response when people ask me how the show was. I'm just passing it on from another kind person who uh, allowed me to hear it. And I just took it, but you know, that weight is something where like, if you want to do this as a career and I was that younger guy looking up to older guys dying to do this. I wish someone had said that to me when I was younger, because I think I missed a lot of beautiful experiences by being hard on myself because something sucked in my opinion. And who knows why I'm a terrible engineer. There was a bad systems guy. There was a bad PA. There was whatever. As long as you do your best and no one's throwing tomatoes at you or pouring beer on your console. I think you, you know what I mean? You, you know, try your best. That's all we can do. Yeah. Any day that your console doesn't catch a beer is a good day. I, I keep thinking about, uh, I can't remember the band now it was, but, uh, they were overseas and somebody dumped a, a beer. I think it was last year in the middle of the show. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they Midas rebuilt the board for them, but it took a whole pint of beer. And I'm like, uh, I pray, pray that never happened. Dude, somebody did it in Baltimore at a Megadeth show. Apparently Dave Mustaine was like pissed about something. And he was like, man, fuck this place up. And it was an old analog Midas that had been in that house for years. And some guy leaning on front of house goes, yeah, turned around and just went all over the desk. So 
they had to run across the street to another another venue, get a PM5D, put it on a furniture cart, roll it across through the streets of Baltimore, into the back alley, into the venue, try to get it up to front of house, patch it, and then build a show as they were playing. It was brutal. But yeah, any day that you don't catch a beer or water on your console, I've definitely swatted a few away at festivals. I think Carolina Rebellion, I hit one out of the sky. And like the systems tech was down there looking at his phone. I was like, how did you not see that? No one's going to believe me that this ever happened. But it was like one of those ninja moves where I see it out of the corner of my eye and I just went like this and I happened to hit it and keep it from hitting the desk. But I feel bad. I stepped on you. I was making a bad joke. You're like Mr. Miyagi catching the fly with the uh, chopsticks. Oh, dude, with the chopsticks. (laughs) I just started showing my daughter. So I always would sing to her. You're the best. Nothing in the world can keep you down. She's like, dad, why do you always do that? And she loves it. I was like, Okay, you're old enough now. You need to learn about the Karate Kid. Karate Kid, I showed her uh, Beetlejuice. She's eight. I showed her Back to the Future 1, Back to the Future 2, Back to the Future 3. We're about to have a Goonies night, which is like the creme de la creme for her. She's going to love it. But um, yeah, I'm a big fan of the Karate Kid reference. But I was about to say, I had a whole bottle of water land and dump on an ls9 remember those old yamaha consoles the ls9 fully passed fully passed signal show didn't skip a beat but i could touch nothing like i couldn't do anything faders locked in their position meters all went to full tilt there was nothing you could do so it was like there it is until the show's over it was a hip-hop show i remember it but yeah any day you don't catch water on your console is a good day or so long as it keeps passing audio then we'll take that as a win Right. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, hey, we're coming up on an hour here and the time flew by. Stop lying. <laughs> I know. Isn't it hard to believe? Wow. But uh, I wanted to ask you, what are you doing uh, right now to sort of stay busy? Are you doing anything, um, you know, mixing wise, mixing in the box, doing anything to sort of keep your chops active? Not a one. So uh, my wife, she works and is doing wonderful in her field. So she's picked up more hours as I'm not touring. And my daughter doesn't go to traditional school anymore. She has all homeschool. So I've become the impromptu teacher for my eight-year-old and I've been loving it and really just kind of working on my house and spending time with my family and trying not to panic. You know what I mean? My wife's been great about that. She's like, you didn't lose your job, jackass. You didn't screw up. Like it's a global pandemic. You you fucking are in the boat with everybody else in your business. Calm down. You know what I mean? Um, But one of my dearest friends who actually, um, you know, I I don't want to say his name, but he recently got struck with COVID and he feels horrible, but he's on the men's, thank God. But he said, look, regardless of what anyone thinks of this for people in our industry and kind of everyone, what this is, it's been a slow trauma and how people um, exist in trauma can sometimes be uh, guarded by their own emotions where they won't realize they've experienced the trauma, but literally the whole world stopped within a few days. And a lot of people's lives have been upended. And, you know, everybody in our industry and beyond, you know, my heart, breaks for everyone who's experienced this um but really you know what i've tried to continue during all this with the help of my wife again who's very supportive is to 
try to exist in this time that I have with my family that I normally don't have. And I'm lucky enough now to have not lost my job, but I just don't have it right now. Now I have the beauty of being able to spend all this time with my family that I never got. My wife and I were talking recently about like, when was the last time I was home during the summer? When was the last time we all went to the pool? You know what I mean? Or like, when was the last time we all took a hike or whatever? It's just been so much quality time with my my daughter and my wife and, and experiencing being home, which I normally don't get to do. I'm trying to remain as grateful as I possibly can for this time in such a crazy time, you know? So I love that. I think that's a really positive approach or a positive view to everything that's going on and it makes complete sense. Yeah. And so thank you for sharing that because it, it really feels that way and you articulated it beautifully. Hey, for sure, man. It's my wife basically was busting my chops and she's like, okay, you're on the road and talking to me on the phone and all you want to do is see your wife and kid. And then you're home with your wife and kid and all you're worried about is being back on the road. I'm like, yeah, well, we're all nutballs. You know what I mean? We're all front house guys. We're all a little crazy. For sure. All right. Well, I think that's a that's a great place to end. Um, I don't think I can add anything to it and I'll just detract from all the great stuff you've said so far. So let's uh let's call this a podcast, Mike. And I uh just thanks again for being on the show and I really enjoyed talking to you. Amen. And I hope get to see your uh dual consoles in action at some point before too long. Hundred percent. When I'm coming through Madison, like I said, I got buddies there and we do shows around there. Uh I will definitely give you a ring because I want you to see it and uh, thank you for having me. You know, thanks for taking the time to do something on this medium that's super fun, and um, I really enjoyed myself. And if you're ever starving for a guest and you don't get any hate mail about my podcast, then I'd be happy to come back on if you ever need it. So you'll, uh, I'll, I'll take all the bullets before anybody else does. That's the 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 <laughs> common feedback is great show. Change the host. So. <laughs> nice nice well you know i'll call you human field from now on like you take all the bullets all this bask in the glory that works for me perfect all right yeah mike uh very best wishes to you and i hope to see you very soon steve thanks so much really appreciate it and that's a wrap on this episode of mix masters i hope you enjoyed the show and if you did please be sure to subscribe and then tell a friend or maybe leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I'd certainly appreciate it. I produce Mixmasters on the Allen & Heath DLive system with Shure microphones and a little help from Apple's Logic Pro X and some Waves SoundGrid plugins. One more round of thanks to Merritt Goodwin for the music. And until next time, stay safe and healthy, and thanks again for listening.